today on CityCast Madison. Outdoor cats. They can stir strong feelings in the neighborhood, ask any bird watcher. But what about stray cats? The ones that live outside and don't seem to belong to anyone. Who deals with those? You might not see them, but they're there, according to the Madison Cat Project. Thousands of them. And the group says that our current policies of trapping and killing just aren't working. Dr. Adam Bauconnect, their medical director, gives us the lowdown. It's Tuesday, February 21st. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Adam, hello. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I have a question. Madison has a feral cat problem. Yeah. I did not know this. <laughs> That's my first question. Yeah. So yeah, I would say that uh, we certainly have a lot of cats uh, living outside, whether they're feral or not. Uh, we generally ch- use the word, the phrase community cats, um, because feral usually means just cats that have no interest in human contact at all. Whereas community cats then also includes cats that uh, may be interested in meeting, uh, in having contact with people, but don't really have a home so much. They don't really have owners. They're, they're living outside. They are doing okay for themselves, but don't really have a, a family or a house to live in like we would normally expect with a pet cat. One of our big challenges, what do we do with all of these cats? Living outside certainly carries certain risks, but some cats have no interest in human contact and living in an indoor home would not be an appropriate outcome for them. Can you give me any sense of scale, any sense of how large this problem is? We're not really sure. There was a nationwide survey done of shelters and uh, information from pet supply stores and that kind of thing to sort of figure out how many cats are there, how many of them are living inside, how many are there out. And they found that the most reasonable estimate was that there are about as many cats living outside not associated with people as there are pet cats. In terms of the, the numbers here in Madison, my guess is that There's probably not as many outdoor cats as indoor cats because we don't see them quite as much as other places do. You know, you're not driving down the street and there's groups of cats out in a, you know, a parking lot somewhere all over the place. And that makes sense because folks in Madison tend to love their animals and they're more likely to, you know, advocate for a cat that they feel like needs help. Are there certain spots you like found the colonies? Yeah, they can be everywhere. We have heard of various places sort of more on the margins of of the city. I think they're less likely sort of downtown and campus area and that kind of thing. But anywhere that has space, anywhere that has shelter, anywhere that has reliable food sources, whether that's garbage or lots of mice or people that are putting food out for them, anything like that, anywhere can be a place where cats can end up. Why are outdoor cats a problem? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think if you ask six different people, you're going to get six different answers. Uh, The Mm. main concerns that we have as a shelter are that when there are lots of outdoor cats, oftentimes they're not able to get the care that that they need. And so it's it's a welfare issue for the cats. A lot of people are concerned about the effects that they have on the environment, on wildlife. A lot of people have issues with them as just nuisance animals. They don't want cats in their backyard, you know, causing problems for their indoor cats. And a lot of people are just concerned that there are, with cats outside that aren't getting care, if they're not spayed or neutered, they're just continually having kittens. And then those kittens oftentimes die because they're not getting good nutrition and not getting veterinary care. And people just don't want to see that. 
Are there any benefits that cats, outdoor cats offer? Sure. Yeah. Um, some people will certainly would tell you that um, rodent control is an important part of it. Um, we work with a lot of uh, rural owners who have farms that specifically want cats for rodent control. That's actually a good outlet for us for the feral cats that we get in. And so we call those working cats, that they're there to kind of do a job rather than being companions and that kind of thing. And so whether people want it or not, it's a reality. It's a reality that we have to deal with. I know this is an ongoing issue, but is the problem more urgent now? In the last couple of years, because of COVID, there were a lot fewer spays and neuters happening because shelters didn't have the resources to be able to do as much of it. And we're seeing a bit of a resurgence because of that, that we had this time where where we normally would have been spaying and neutering a lot of outdoor cats that basically stopped um, or was greatly decreased for a year or two. And so we are seeing somewhat of a resurgence recently of the number of outdoor cats that are not getting care. Um, the other big issue is that there is a significant crisis in the number of veterinarians across the country. Um, there's a lot fewer vets. A lot of vet clinics are not taking new clients. They're scheduling out by months at a time. Our global cost spay neuter program, uh, we're scheduling out about six to eight weeks at this point. We're getting clients from Milwaukee because the big shelters in Milwaukee are scheduling out four to six months at this time. So the last year that we have good data for was 2019, and we took in about 900 cats through our program. In addition to that, we did spays and neuters on about 1,200 cats that just came in for surgery that didn't actually come into our adoption program. 2022, we did about 1,500 spays and neuters and about 400 intakes. And part of that represents a shift that during COVID, uh, because of the shortage of protective gear and medications and that kind of thing, a lot of shelters started really dialing back on their intake and working to uh, try to keep cats where they are rather than bringing them in. And so helping people keep cats that they might be having problems with, providing low-cost veterinary care if that's a barrier for people to keep the cats, and then working to provide low-cost being and neutering for community cats to keep them where they are rather than having them come into a shelter and then be relocated or euthanized. And now we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. So that brings us to how should we deal with this? Right. Data from shelters all over the world will tell you that simply rounding the cats up and bringing them into the local shelter to either be adopted out or euthanized isn't working. That's what we've been doing for decades, and it's just not really making any sort of difference. There's a sort of a concept called trap, neuter, and return, TNR. This is a, a big thing in the sheltering world where the cats are live trapped, brought into a shelter or a veterinary clinic, sterilized, vaccinated, checked over for medical problems, and then returned to the place where they were before. And so what that does is, you know, if the cats are living in a place, that means it's a good place for cats to live. Otherwise, they wouldn't be living there. And if we simply remove the cats, trap them and bring them into the shelter, and then either relocate them or euthanize them, relocation being either adopting them to a different outdoor place or adopting them to an indoor home, it creates a vacuum effect in the place where the cats were. So now you have an area that's good cat habitat that doesn't have as many cats in it because you've removed them, and new cats are going to move into that space over time. And typically the cats that move in are young, intact males because those are the cats that are roaming the most. They're also the cats that cause the most nuisance problems because of spraying and causing trouble for uh, for intercats that can see them and fighting and, and that kind of thing. And so what Trap, Neuter, and Return does is it takes those cats that are in that space, 
gets them basic vet care, sterilizes them so they're not reproducing, and then puts them back. So they're still sort of filling up. They're taking up those resources. So there isn't that vacuum for new cats to move into. Got it. And eventually, over time, as the cats pass on because of old age or sickness or you know any of the other things that cats die from. The population is not going to grow. Right, right. And in places where this is done aggressively and most of the cats are uh, sterilized, they have found that over time, the group of outdoor cats eventually will die out. Totally new to me. I have not thought about this. Just because you do this temporary fix, it doesn't mean that you fix the larger problem. Right. Right. And there are some limitations with it. I mean, if you're working in a small area and you sterilize a colony of six or eight cats, that's helping for that very small area, but it's not necessarily doing much beyond that. And so uh, making this more widespread and having people get on board with it and, and having it sort of be the standard for how we handle community cats is in places where that's been done, they've found dramatic reductions in the number of cats coming into the shelters, many, many fewer complaint calls about cats that are outside. Um, so overall, it improves all of those things. Sort of a companion piece to TNR is something called return to field. And this is more of um, sort of shelter jargon, but essentially it's the idea that if there are cats outside and uh, someone is uh, either calling animal services or uh, trapping the cats, you know, wanting to do something with them, they come into the shelter, the shelter provides that vet care, and then they go back out to where they were. And so it's it's sort of a, a perspective on how the shelter is going to handle the cats. Now, both TNR and Return to Field are, when you think about that in the context of Madison, they're very limited because of the ordinances in Madison. So the cat running at large law says that if you have a cat and the cat's off your property and not in a carrier or on a leash or basically under the owner's control, the owner can be cited for cat running at large. When you overlay that with a trap and return program or return to field, it gets tricky because in a lot of cases, these are cats that don't really have an owner. And it may be that there's someone that is willing to sort of step up and identify themselves as the caretaker, as the primary caretaker of a group. They provide food. They keep an eye on things. They work on getting the cats trapped if they're not already altered. But now this that person potentially faces getting fines if someone in the neighborhood is unhappy about all of this and is calling animal services about it. What we were talking about a moment ago was about the, the city ordinance. And I'm, I want to know, that's kind of getting to like, who can solve this problem? Yeah. Um, so I think the, the main thing that needs to change is right now, the, the law doesn't really make any distinction between the lifestyle or circumstances of a given cat. Basically, all cats are, are cats and the law applies to them equally. And changing the ordinance or adding language to the ordinance that acknowledges the existence of community cats as sort of this other category that doesn't really work the same way as as pet cats do is a really important step. It would make it so that animal services has a little bit more leeway in how they can handle things. It would make it so that people could feel more confident about coming forward as caretakers of a group without worrying about about getting a citation. It would make it easier for us to be able to educate people about options and sort of the best things that we can do to help all of these cats. I would say that would be a, a really, really important first step. Another big step would be to try to figure out a way to provide subsidies for spaying and neutering. You know, we offer a low-cost spay neuter for folks and it's still more than a lot of people can afford. And even folks who can't afford it, if they've got 20 or 30 cats that they want to provide care for, that just becomes cost prohibitive. And so finding money to be able to help with the cost of that 
and whether that's through local private practices or through the local shelters or, or that kind of thing, just making it easier for people to be able to do the right thing and get the cats the care that they need. And so what should someone do if they encounter a cat colony? Uh, first thing would be to check and see whether the cat's have evidence of being cared for, and that's where ear tipping comes in. Um, so the standard in the industry is when cats are spayed or neutered through a through a TNR program, is that the tip of their left ear is removed about a centimeter, and so rather than having a, a pointy ear, they have sort of a flat a flat ear. And the goal for that is to be able to identify that this cat has been spayed or neutered already uh, without getting close to them. So if the cat is you know 30, 40, 50 feet away, and that's as close as you're going to get, you can just tell by looking. Okay, this one's got an ear tip. Um, if they have an ear tip, that means that someone is aware of them, someone has given them care, and it's likely that they're doing fine. And the best thing is probably to just leave them alone. If they don't have signs of injury, if they don't appear to be sick, if they're not causing conflict for the neighbors or, or anything like that, and if it's relatively safe for them to be there, if a cat like that is seen, you know, running across the belt line or East Wash or, or you know, that kind of thing, then it might be worthwhile to to try to get the cat collected up and, and into a safer place. If it looks like there aren't any signs of that, then checking around with the neighbors to see whether or not this might be someone's cat. And I would say at this time, if if the cat's not showing signs of care and is in a place where it would be reasonable for them to stay, calling the Humane Society, calling us, calling the local vet clinics to see whether or not they might be able to help get the cat in for surgery, getting that sterilization and vaccinations done, and then putting the cat back out where they came from. And then ideally with providing some follow-up care, providing a, a shelter and some food and, and that kind of thing. Just kind of depends on how much attention and time and cost is somebody willing to put into all of this. Well, Adam, thank you so much for bringing this issue to us. You're very welcome. That's Dr. Adam Bauconnect, Madison Cat Project Medical Director. We'll put a link to his organization and other tips for what to do if you find a stray cat in our show notes. And here's what else Madison's talking about. Spring primary day. It's here today. Are you ready to do your civic duty? I know we are. Polls are open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. You can find more information about polling places and what's on the ballot by visiting myvote.wi.gov. Also, check out our interviews with judges running for the Wisconsin Supreme Court. They're in the podcast feed. In other news, you heard about the governor of Florida banning an AP African-American studies course, right? Well, both Madison East and West High School will offer it next year, alongside 60 other schools across the U.S. Praise Ida B. Wells and Madam C.J. Walker. Save the best for last. Kidding, not kidding. Tonight, Tuesday, February 21st at 7 p.m., you can see Tyler James Williams, a.k.a. Gregory from Abbott Elementary. He's speaking at a free event at Union South, hosted by the Black Cultural Center. Happy Black History Month. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a cat lover about us? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Until then, be good to your neighbors, y'all. Hold up. 